0: Hello and welcome to The Chosen Brew podcast. My name is Ian McNally and I'm the host and creator of The Chosen Brew, the podcast that interviews guests to find out their six beers that changed everything for them. The aim of the podcast is to celebrate great beer, but also to help create some stories behind some of our favorite beers and the people in the industry. In each episode, I'll be interviewing the people who make great beer and other significant people in the industry. As they talk their way through their six beers that changed everything, a kind of ultimate six pack full of nostalgia and emotional wonderings, and hopefully just some plain old good beer. So, the format of the show is simple each guest talks their way through the six beers, and they'll also choose their favourite vessel to consume all their six beers and their ultimate beer snack to accompany their beers. Now, in this pilot episode, you'll notice that the premise for the podcast was initially the last six beers you'd ever drink, not the six beers that changed everything. But I thought I'd release this pilot anyway because Rhys, as you'll hear, such a great guest, so passionate and knowledgeable about beer. And since settling on the premise of the show, The Chosen Brew, uh, Reese said it wouldn't have made any difference to his choices anyway because he said six beers that were... Um, His formative beers were also the last six he would drink anyway. So I really hope you enjoy The Chosen Brew and support it by sharing it with your friends and rating on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter at The Chosen Brew or visit the website thechosenbrewau.com. Once you've listened to the pilot, listen to the first episode proper, which uh, I'll be speaking to Derek Hales and you can find out what beer he's talking about here just special
1: um and it's got all sorts of beautiful raisiny and and
0: and complex sort of uh, malt flavors of currants and cherries but right now here's the pilot episode with my very good friend reese terns enjoy (laughs) today we've got uh, my good friend Reese. welcome <laughs> Reese <laughs> thanks I think um, one of the reasons I invited you on the show today Reese is uh, that you are definitely a craft beer enthusiast but you also are very knowledgeable about craft beer as well and I think also because of your uh, growing up in the USA Um, that does skew things a little bit, uh, particularly for the Australian audience. Yeah, that's right. So I think that the interesting
1: part about craft brewing or uh, micro brewing in the States, I think is what we probably would refer to it more often, is that uh, this is a movement that started when I was, you know, starting to drink beer. So I think that, you know, once I was of an age where beer was becoming probably something that you would you would enjoy as opposed to you know i guess like when you're younger you might have like these silly like high school parties where you would just throw down you know whatever whatever was available in order to just get absolutely tanked and you know it would only take like three drinks for you to get tanked anyway you know but uh, as as you know as beer started to become a bit more prominent in my life like i started to realize that you know like this was a cusp of of something that was a little bit unique. I mean, the the macro brews of the United States were starting to become um, less and less popular, and a lot of the a lot of the normal pubs around it were serving you know a lot more localized type of beer, and and you know these um, breweries were popping up all over the place. You know whether they were um you know in your hometown whether they were in the university town that you went to whether they're you know in the, the season moved to and i think that, that was quite interesting to kind of witness like what was going on and um whereabouts in the u.s did you grow well i grew up in the midwest so there's not a hell of a lot going on there i grew up in, in indiana which is you know there's not a lot that's known for other than perhaps corn and some backwards politics um but uh there the the thing is that uh it does lend itself towards a pretty strong uh craft brewing culture but i think that as you said like you know where you've got you know macro brews moving into like more you know micro brewed beers or your you know more i guess craft or whatever you would like to call it i think it's pretty typical of just about anyone that goes through their beer experience because you are Generally exposed more towards, you know, macro brewed beers through, you know, whether it's, you know, media or just you know some blogs, dads beers, you're nicking yeah, from yeah, the garage yeah. or something like that, you know. So okay, so uh, uh,
0: growing up in Indiana, and uh, let's let's uh, draw a picture a little bit of. Um, we We are all familiar with uh macro uh American beers but <laughs> can you, yes. g- yeah yeah <laughs> but could you give us maybe a bit of a picture of um of what beers uh you were drinking the
1: The things that were unavoidable clearly were the standard
0: which were which were (laughs) which were like you know yeah
1: yeah budweiser miller light goodness i remember going to (laughs) i remember uh going to like uh, plenty of these like uh you know in the states because the drinking age is 21 and you go to university at you know about 18 and so therefore you need to go to like kind of these like more house party type events to really (laughs) kind of go out and get your drinking fix so you know the thing is that you'd pay they, they used to have like a cover charge so you'd pay like 3 a, or $5. What's the
0: charge for the house?
1: Yeah, yeah, but then you would be given like a red plastic cup or whatever, you know. And it, they, you know, some of them, the more savvy, you know, party throwers would have some way of like marking the cup so that way they could identify that you didn't just bring the cup from the place down the street. But uh, yeah, you just rock up and essentially, like, you know, there would be as much as much bloody free beer as you wanted to drink. See, I've like,
0: seen this in films. I didn't actually realize this was true.
1: No, no, it's a real thing, right? So, look, like, it's not. I mean, it was. It was when I went to university. You know, uh, arguably the better part of 20 years ago so the thing is that i, I truly believe it still is based on the drinking age essentially mm. so i mean like some of the things that you see on the television are probably a little bit sensationalized but there is there
0: is a, a good element of truth to a lot of that as well so okay so that given uh let's let's uh, delve into your first choice of your chosen brew here
1: if it's going to be the last six beers i thought they need to be something that kind of tied to a specific memory like or a specific time in your life that you would want to reflect on
0: so that given
1: what's your first choice and so the first beer that I've chosen is what I consider to be my initial gateway beer so outside of the Previously mentioned rubbish that we would drink, you know, <laughs> at, uh, at uh, of extreme volumes, but not really appreciating taste. The first beer that I actually had that I tasted and I thought that's really interesting was actually an English beer and it was uh, a good lad, uh, and yeah i suppose (laughs) (laughs) you might not you might not say so by the end of this but uh
0: but the uh it was actually a newcastle brown ale newcastle brown ale so for any what like there'll be few people who uh very few people who don't know what newcastle brown ale is Describe what Newcastle Brown is.
1: Well, look, you know, the interesting thing is it comes in clear bottles, which <laughs> may actually alter whether or not it's, it's, you know, uh, as fresh as it possibly could be when it I, comes. I would
0: say that... Uh the Newcastle Brown Ale is in a clear bottle because the anticipation that it's going to be consumed in Newcastle, where there's zero sunlight, <laughs> <laughs> so there's no risk of damage. But obviously, when it goes to the US or Australia or wherever, that might change. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. And
1: I remember it was it was hit and miss. Like, so you you, you crack a bottle and you just never knew. It could be it could be a little bit on the sour side. <laughs> But uh, when I first had it, I must admit that it had a little bit of little bit of like um, camo melty notes that I wasn't used to with beer. Where, you know, it, I was like, "Hey, th- there's actually something outside of just throwing down cold, you know, sparkling alcohol, essentially, yeah. Yeah, you know." Yeah. And so, and, and that was interesting. I think that um, you know, I had I had a, a number of mates that were kind of you know starting to kind of get into these. You know this type of beer and i think that it was always readily accessible in bottle shops which made things easier because you know this time you know a lot of these like uh micro breweries, which are now like you know fantastically celebrated in the united states were really just kind of getting started in the in the early to mid 90s you know and so they weren't really accessible in bottle shops and whatnot and so you'd start yeah. to find that all of these kind of imported beers were the ones that kind of would Spark the imagination of what beer really truly could be, and uh, that
0: was definitely what Newcastle did for me. Newcastle Brown. So, uh, I've got to ask you a question Have you ever been to Newcastle in England? <laughs> Frankly, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, I suppose it's one of those uh, brews, it's been fantastically successful as a, as a British beer overseas. And uh, I suspect that
1: if I had it at a blind tasting right now, I'd think it was pure rubbish. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, I must say like even in England obviously I had a uh, bigger uh, access to real ales and things like that which uh, I consumed but when you went into a pub which was all you know all lagers or whatever on tap and it would, there was no choice you would always look to the fridge at the back and one of the beers that they almost always had was Newcastle Brown and you might have to pay a bit of a premium for it in a pub but you're always getting Newcastle Brown it's <laughs> an absolute winner so, so a great, great choice for the first. I'm, I'm intrigued. Uh, you've chosen an English brew for your first beer.
1: That's not that's not uncommon because the thing is that there was a number of beers that have gone through my mind like in the selection process and and you know um, one that didn't make the cut without revealing what's you know coming ahead but was uh, Samuel Smith like was really popular amongst that same crowd like that I was you know hanging out with we were really experimenting with a lot of different dark beers for some reason oh, the darker yeah. beers were the ones that kind of um, kind of paved the way to start to get into like more of the uh, i guess more modern like hoppier ipas and things like that um that i guess american craft beers associated with now but that was that that was what started and a lot of that was english beers frankly so which, uh, what i'm intrigued
0: choice number two <laughs> so
1: the second choice is actually it is a it is a local beer so i went to university there was a uh there was a brewery there and, and actually i had a mate that worked there and it was called upland brewing and it's in bloomington indiana which is where indiana u- university is and and uh, the, we we sampled every single beer that they made of course because it was <laughs> the, the dumb thing um you ended up drinking like you ended up drinking this like uh this local micro brewed beer like like it was like those parties that i mentioned before that were the you know the the dreadful miller life it type is, of parties, it is know? it's so
0: like it's so romantic this idea that you you know you sat with a, with a whole keg outside mm. <laughs> so, you know consider this just doesn't happen elsewhere well, in yeah, the world well yeah yeah god, bl- god bless
1: god bless northern hemisphere uh, winters where there's <laughs> enough, <laughs> enough 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 uh, <laughs> nip in the air to keep the keg cold but um yeah so the the, the so actual the type what, of what was special about uplands well, firstly, it was local. the The beer that the, so the brewery was the Upland, but the one that I've actually chosen is the porter, which you know was the one that really kind of it would have been it would have been just a smidgen over five percent probably. And it so, was give just,
0: us a description maybe of the the Upland porter that you were
1: oh it was absolutely wonderful it was incredibly um rich and and a little bit on the sweet side you know um light on alcohol so you know distinctive from like the stouts that probably had a bit more body so it had a little bit of drinkability to it and and um was it probably kind of just kind of kept that natural progression from going from like a brown ale moving into a porter and, like, really enjoying. I mean, I enjoyed all the other beers, frankly, but we we had arguably i'd say a dozen kegs over like about a 15 month period i lived in one particular like house you know and, and the thing is that they were they were just magnificent and we would enjoy them because they were easy to drink but they had lots of interest you could drink them like in the in the middle of winter and they still had like a slight warming effect but you could also still have them well it, like it never got hot let's let's be honest i mean you know here in Australia it gets hot but uh, even in the summertime you know it still wasn't like an abnormal beer to have you know and so it had these rich you know camo type of notes and things that really kind of resonated with the uh, with my palate at the time so um.
0: so tell us a little bit about upland brewery itself is uh was was that the only brewery operating in that area at the time or or was it um there's not well, a lot of competition w- yeah
1: within within bloomington at the time there wasn't a hell of a lot i think now there's there's a lot more happening around those areas and around university towns you'll find that there'll be a few more, like, brew pub type of places that were open. But, you know, about 20 years ago, that was essentially it.
0: So, it? so, so, you obviously, it's a natural to, to cling on. And Upland are still going today, aren't they? Absolutely, are yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, well? yeah. So, I, I just went back to the States last year. And, yeah, they've got, you know, it's they've, they've gotten a little bit more, like, uh, I guess, you know, as you do when you brew beer, you always kind of challenge and, and mm. kind of go with whatever the, whatever the typical idea of us at the time but you know they went they went you know strong with strong hoppy you know ipas and things like that and, and nowadays i went i went and they had like a, i think it was a is it a fireside or a campsite it was like a session ipa and yeah, it was I think absolutely it was, campsite, I see, it was yeah, yeah. absolutely beautiful and it was yeah. you know it was an, a lower alcohol percentage so it made it you know as you start to get on a little bit you know what i mean you really want a, a full flavor beer but you still when want you
0: say getting on in age you mean yeah yeah come yeah. on
1: go yeah. on reese nah. Come on. Like, but i'm just saying you know the thing is that like you, you don't necessarily need to have the, the alcohol is not necessarily the point of drinking and so i really like the movement of these session ipas that are happening in a lot of these really nice um u.s outfits because it, it, it was pushing the boundaries just going you know alcohol percentage you know as many hops as possible thrown in just trying to kind of get it like as bold and as strong crazy, pushing the boundary yeah, yeah. and like all of a sudden now the american brewers are starting to exhibit a little bit of restraint that probably the british brewers have had for a very long time but yeah. but the thing is that uh <laughs> Stiff and, lip. Yeah, yeah so <laughs> so but the thing is that it's still going very well and strong and 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 actually delivering delicious beers and and uh it's interesting because i did have I did have a bottle of the porter when I was <laughs> oh, back wow. at home. But, and uh, and it,
0: did it did it bring back a lot of memories? Well, actually,
1: porter? I was a little bit disappointed because it was <laughs> in a bottle, and I would have preferred to have it off tap, to be fair. Um, uh, so, only,
0: only on a quality beer podcast could you get uh, such pernickety uh, <laughs> viewpoints, you know. <laughs> Tell us about your third beer. It's a very thought-provoking question.
1: If you want to have six beers with you, which six would you have? And so then that's when i just instantly went back to where i started to go which ones would kind of define maybe turning points in what was going on and newcastle was the turning point into actually appreciating beer as opposed to just consuming alcohol and then upland was a turning point where it was like well there's actually incredible brewed beer within you know a close proximity of where you're at you know and um you know the next beer the the I've chosen actually is one that's probably in a macro brewed beer now but at the time was actually a very micro brewed beer and was was at the like uh, probably the uh, epitome of what an american pale ale was and that was a sierra nevada pale ale and this was in the you know in the 90s and and i i had had you know so i had after realizing that there was a lot going on and you know we had um you know upland had plenty of different um styles of beer they were brewing and i enjoyed all of them and you know i selected one based on a memory like i started doing a bit of um travel like when i was you know uh off of university like so you know in the summer months and so i did a little bit of travel and i was traveling a bit to the west coast and you know this was when i was in full beer appreciation mode so by now like <laughs> i think as a young lad that i've got it all figured out you know as far as beer is concerned and so um you know we're out there and we're trying i've got a few mates with me and we you know we're doing a couple of months of backpacking through california and all that stuff and you know sierra nevada was starting to really kind of pick up in that part of the world at the time and and um you know it was it was a really it was really kind of when i started to go i really like these kind of hop forward type of you know beers they're a little bit more fruity a lot like kind of toned back on the malt character and starting to f- trying to drive that fruity type of character you know and still still a beer that was you know drinkable so you could you could buy a six pack and you could knock back a few of them and, and
0: really enjoy it uh, but not um I'm really, like, Sierra Nevada is is a, an American classic now. Was it a sense that Sierra Nevada would go from micro to macro then?
1: I think that, you know, at that point in time, I probably would have never imagined. But I think four or five years later, when I was able to get that beer back in the Midwest... That's when it really started to kind of go. Well, these these type of beers, whether it was, you know, you've got that's in Nevada, in the United States, what's really popular is this one out of Colorado that's called Fat Tire, and they do like an amber ale, they do like a a, a black ale, like they're 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 reasonable beers, but like at the time, like those beers, like I was traveling through some of those areas and like I had them, and then you know a few years later, all of a sudden you're able to get them and you're realizing, well. This is kind of the transition. What it, what is you know? Do you, what do you consider a micro brewed beer? What's a mm. macro brewed beer? What's a, a craft beer? I'm not really entirely certain. You know, I mean, I guess that, you know, and I I wouldn't have the answer for you at this point in time. But you know, when you looked at like that transition from being able to get a west coast beer in the Midwest, like that's that's a powerful thing. When the only other beers you can get from the west coast are. Cause lights
0: or whatever, <laughs> you know. Is there the case in the US where it's uh, the Isles are, are very regional? Are people proud about the regions, or um, you know, for example? Are you getting someone in in Maine in the northeast of America like um, harping on about the Californian beer, or are they? I think that there could be
1: beer specific, but like like anything in the United States, it is very regional. People get very excited. They, you know, uh, pale ales were you know very different in the Californian region than it was in the Midwest or versus the East Coast. You know, and that that uh, West Coast pale ale that west coast ipa you know those kind of things were significantly different than what they were you know throughout the rest of the country and so there's a distinct regionality to what it was like now nowadays there's probably a lot more amalgamation and a lot more i guess shared knowledge amongst those brewers and and you know they you know whether it evolves from homebrew and and you know just tasting all this stuff because there's just brewer's Everywhere in the United States now it's unbelievable, but at the time there was a distinct difference between those different areas you know and so the the classic one is that like you know i 'm not entirely certain if you 're familiar, but the the ones the beers that I was mentioning before like Sie Nevada versus like say fat tire versus say like your goose island versus you know like they're all they're all just significantly different based on whatever was grown or whatever was there like locally as opposed to nowadays where there's a lot more shared stuff so to speak so what's your fourth choice (laughs) well it's it's an interesting it's an interesting question so i'm actually going back to the macro uh, macro world for my next choice and uh, and the next choice is guinness there are. There is no way that a six-beer list could not include Guinness, um, and the reason is that there were a number. Uh, I guess there's there's a few a few little uh, uh, significant reasons why it has to be one. I enjoyed the bloody beer, but the the fact is that it, it's still you know when I when I graduated from university and moved on to the workforce and and was still kind of contemplating what was going to happen um, that you couldn't necessarily go into any old pub or or bar and 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 get craft brew on tap. Typically you'd have to go to a uh, to an actual brewery or to a specialty bottle shop or something like that. Now these things weren't cheap. I mean and so uh, post university reality of life is starting to set in and you're starting to have to understand the value of a dollar and and so therefore, you know, you start to become a little bit more savvy in what you're buying and, and I had a few friends that were probably a little bit I guess, a behind in their beer palates compared to what I was. And so they were kind of starting to kind of get off the ground, you know, and moving into kind of those more macro-brewed but international macro-brewed beers. So they've got a little bit of interest as compared to the U.S. ones. And so uh, Guinness seemed to be a pretty common platform amongst where we could go out, where we could buy a slab, you know, have a few drinks before we went out, that kind of thing, and
0: so obviously one of, uh, Guinness comes in a number of formats. Uh, I'm not sure mm. how you were consuming it, but obviously Guinness comes in a can in the, with the widget, uh, Guinness draft. It comes in uh, export strength in a bottle. It comes in standard form in a bottle. Uh, so yeah. what, what was the one that? What was the one that really grabbed you? What was so the one that you were going to choose for your ultimate six?
1: Oh, it would definitely be the one off tab so the one that we used to have in the pubs was by far the best yeah so and, and
0: if you go have it on tap what would be the one
1: look the export strength was probably my favorite yep. the ones we drank the most would have been the can widget oh, just really? just because of like the the circle of friends that i was drinking with at the time you know like it was probably the only one that would be uh acceptable for their pellets So okay, yeah. yeah. So there would have probably been, we probably would have had, yeah, the the can widget, you know, from home at the most. If I got my way, then we would get some export strength, and um, the the all the staple was always at the pub to have, and then there was a few specific pubs that we would always go to because you just always have your normal local. Place that you just frequent, and and they always had it, and it was always great, and you could always kind of signal to the bartender from afar, so that way, by the time you went up to go pay for your round,
0: your beer was ready, <laughs> as opposed to as
1: opposed to gone up there and well, yeah. Well, so. uh, I, d-
0: I know they def- definitely didn't get the Guinness advertising campaigns in uh, Australia. I'm not sure if they did in the US, but uh, the Guinness. If if anyone uh, listening uh, wants to know about the power of the Guinness advertising in, in the UK. Go on YouTube, look up the Guinness set, because their adverts were just incredible. They were cinematic, um, beautiful things, and their slogan was, good things come to those who wait. And I think that was very much the case. If you were at the bar, you were waiting. You know, everyone buying the lagers were getting them way before everyone else, and you were the idiots stood at the bar paying a bit of a, a premium to wait even longer. <laughs> so... So Guinness obviously yeah. is, like, is one of those that uh, it, it's a very comfort drink, isn't it? It's well, a wonderful, experience.
1: So, yeah. Look, the fact is, it's like being wrapped up in a in a nice <laughs> blanket and 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 being cuddled to sleep. The, one of the, the circle of friends of mine at the time called it mother's milk, and I think that that's pretty pretty common <laughs> amongst a lot of people across the globe. So the thing is that it would be it would be shameful for me not to include it. And, and the, the time period in my life that Guinness I'll always reflect upon will be that time in my life after university, in between you know kind of deciding to go to yet another round of university and before I moved to Australia. Fantastic. So, choice 5 so choice 5 is another um very localized beer and it's out of chicago so i grew up in indiana northern part of indiana and right outside of chicago and so there was a lot of visitation to chicago and after after um university i ended up uh, moving to chicago for a while and and there's a, there's a few breweries in Chicago, but the one that um, was the, the standout for me was the Goose Island Brewery, which is up on the north side. It's up on Clark Street. There's a, a brew pub up there, and, and they're actually starting to distribute their beers across the United States. I noticed that like um, some friends over on the East Coast and things are getting quite a lot of Goose Island beers and whatnot, so it's interesting to notice that like they're starting to kind of shift around a nation as well you know well they've started start-
0: to appear in australia as well and i think uh, i think the goose island have recently been bought out um, by a by a, a so-called macro brewer yeah, yeah it's um, a damn
1: shame it seems to be happening a lot doesn't it so.
0: <laughs> well i suppose uh, there is a short period of uh, of time where you get the genuine goose island beer in places like australia which had never happened before uh, until they change hmm. the brew which they say they won't <laughs> Well,
1: I think that there's a certain amount of um economics applied to brewing once you know uh, large scale producers get involved, but you know that's not a topic for this particular conversation but so
0: tell me what's so special about this goose island is it is it emotional memory? What about the beer?
1: Incredibly emotional. So the fact is that they're, they're another brewery that was similar to Upland uh, in that, you know, you could have sat down, you would have had just about every single beer that they had on tap, but it was the pale, It was uh, they called it a 312 pale, which is the uh, area code for Chicago. So um, in the States, this is kind of a, a thing, you know, you know, you want to know what area code you're from. <laughs> and so you know it it, it's it's kind of it kind of ties into that and it was a very easy to drink pale very um, uh modern american type you know up forward you know fruity type of pale and the the brewer pub is bloody up there near uh wrigley field in in chicago which is a a baseball stadium and i'm not not necessarily a strong advocate of baseball but it's an exciting game to go to the stadium and watch because the crowd gets into it and it's you know it's full action you know within the crowd even though it's not full action on the field (laughs) um but uh you know so it's really cool like i i I lived up on the north side a few friends that lived like very very close to there and we would we would congregate there and and it was it was always exciting to be able to to have whatever beers in on tap, but particularly the pale, which would have been, you know, definitely the first and always the last beer I had before I went on my merry way home. But um, I would say as well, like I think we had a quick conversation about, you know, what beer snack would you have if you were going to have all of your beers or whatever. And, and there's there's a snack that that I had at that particular brew pub that uh, I thought was fantastic and would definitely be the beer snack that I would take. And they you see them now a little bit, but at that time I'd never seen them before, and they were. Uh, deep fried pickles with a bit of uh, uh, chili aioli and and uh I, I would have to say that there's a, b- a bit of forewarning about eating deep fried pickles. They're damn delicious, but <laughs> if they're straight out of the fryer, they're they're bloody hot. <laughs> like, <laughs> they are stinking hot, and if you bite into that, you are going to regret it <laughs> straight away. You <laughs> sound
0: like this is speaking from brutal personal experience. <laughs> I may
1: have done that, and then <laughs> didn't taste a single beer for the rest
0: of the night. But uh, yeah. So anyway,
1: I actually uh, I actually took my wife. So after we got married, I, I took her back to the States and, and the I was able to take her there and, and we enjoyed deep fried pickles and, and some pale ale and things and so. That's great. That's so cool.
0: obviously uh Wrigley uh stadium and this is one of the most passionate groups of baseball fans in the US, isn't it?
1: Perennial losers too, man. It's so funny. Like they <laughs> they never win anything. I think it's been since like uh, and you know somebody's going to somebody's going to get their back up about my lack of knowledge on facts but uh, it's in the 19 you know 13 or something <laughs> like that like this is the last time they they uh, they actually tasted like the ultimate success so uh but yeah they're always jam packed to the hilt so stadium.
0: um how does that reflect in the city itself is that is that is the Wrigley Stadium like a place where the, the city is reflected into the stadium, or or does the Wrigley Stadium reflect into the city?
1: It's one of those old style ball, ballparks where it's like you know it's got ivy on the wall, it's all bricked on the inside and things, and and I think it's a I think it's a very uh, a, a reflection of what the city was, it's a very, you know, American big city. And they, they call it the uh, broad shoulders and things. And so I guess we, we can take losing a little bit. But uh, but there's also another baseball team in Chicago, which has actually done pretty well. That's on the <laughs> south side. But, <laughs> yeah, we won't mention uh, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um,
0: <laughs> Reese, you've taken us through a lovely journey through Newcastle Brown, Upland, Porter, Sierra Nevada, Pale Ale, Guinness, Goose Island, Pale and what is your final choice?
1: It, it's the the final choice is one that I discovered in Australia. There's been a number of number of beers that have uh, that have come about. The the Goose Island Pale probably um, takes me back to about you know twelve years ago or so. So the the last beer is one that's a lot more modern, and I think that I think that it probably reflects a bit more of my. Uh, drinking taste which kind of almost touched back to the roots of having a little bit more malty type of flavors involved but also it reminds me of you know um, without getting too sentimental it reminds me a lot of you know when the time when my wife and I were getting together and and enjoying going out to pubs and things and this beer was really starting to take off you know it would have been about six years ago or so it would have been five or six years ago Mm. I suppose and and it's the uh, Two Birds Sunset Ale and and this beer I think is fantastic and, and it's easy to go back to and uh I, I remember uh we had a um blind tasting of an, of a number of beers at my um, place one time amongst a group of friends and it was very interesting that I scored that beer the highest out of all of these beers that we had and it, and funny enough that uh Sierra Nevada pale was one of the beers that was <laughs> actually in the in the blind tasting and
0: you scored the two birds higher
1: Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I think by a half a point or
0: so. So for anyone who doesn't know the Two Birds, it's uh in a place in, in Spotswood, which is near uh Williamstown in in uh Melbourne, just outside Melbourne. Uh it it's uh I would say the Two Birds Sunset Ale is a very English style ale. It's a mm-hmm. uh, very caramel, multi toffee um type of ale. Absolutely. Fairly low in percentage. Uh, I think it's about four point five percent or something like that and it's uh, it's a delight isn't it it's very balanced smooth
1: and i think that's something that i I really appreciate now as well as being able to balance all of those all those things your alcohol your malt your hops and things to to provide a, a good drinking experience and that is at that point in time in my life is definitely what i consider to be the business you know uh, and it, it's interesting because i've i've sampled a lot of you know wonderful ipas And at one stage in my life, I went through a mad IPA stage. And and there was a number of breweries that did fantastic ones. Bell's Brewery out of Kalamazoo, Michigan. Um, Three Floyd's, which is out of Munster, Indiana, which is just a a small little town in Indiana. And these breweries do absolutely outstanding creative beers. But I love the breweries. And I couldn't pinpoint a specific beer that would really kind of go yeah that's what I wanted, and so therefore the, those those breweries missed out uh along with the, along with a number of others you know and, and I think that I think that's always the kind of way you're going to look at it if you've got six beers that you have to choose, so you've got to pick them based on specific beers that are going to draw you back to a specific point in time in your life because otherwise you're only just going to pick the the last six that were the best <laughs> that you had you know so
0: well exactly right, so you've taken us from Newcastle in England, you've gone back to the u s You've gone to California, you've gone to Ireland, back to the US, and then to Spotswood in Melbourne. And uh, I suppose the the last thing is you obviously choosing uh, the deep fried um, pickles to uh, get burned on. Oh, I'm telling you, you gotta go, you gotta have a go at the deep fried pickles. <laughs> and, uh... and the last question I've really got to ask you is: uh, so these are your ultimate six beers. What are you drinking them out of? What's the receptacle the tankard the the mug the the cup, the glass, whatever you're drinking them out of the can? what's your receptacle like you're uh taking these being oh, out Oh
1: look for me like uh, you know I'm a pretty simple guy like it's gotta be a, a solid glass mug with a handle that you know just that typical that's it, like, the tank the t- yeah. sort of the the glass yeah yeah. the one that like you know you in. probably you probably have to remove from most pubs from nowadays because people <laughs> <laughs> use them as a weapon but you know like that that's it you know it's got a bit of heft to it you know what i mean like you got it it's it, it's just it just feels right you it know? still
0: feels like it's got liquid in it even if it's empty yeah and also something.
1: you know you feel like you're getting a bit of a
0: workout you know <laughs> as you're going so you don't feel so guilty about having a number of beers so well, <laughs> Reese, it's been fantastic to talk to you on the uh, Chosen Brew, and thank you for taking us through your ultimate six beers. It's been an absolute pleasure. Well, thanks anyway. I'll, I'll be interested to see what other people have to say about this. <laughs> well, I hope you enjoy listening to that episode, the pilot episode with Reese just a real pleasure to talk with Rhys about something that he's so passionate about and uh, Rhys although he's not in the beer industry he's that friend who I'd always go to if I didn't know how to cook something if I had to take a bottle of wine to a party and didn't know what wine to take particularly he was a friend who always took around some exciting beers and shared them and we were getting all very excited about the different um, beers that we were trying and Not necessarily everybody else in the room was, but that's, uh, I think, how we developed a bit of a kinship. So I hope you enjoyed that one. In the next episode, I interview Derek Hales from Bad Shepherd. I'm going to be releasing the Chosen Brew podcast every month. If I manage to get more guests, I will release it more often. So if you know anyone in the beer industry or you're in the beer industry yourself and would like to be a guest then I'd love to hear from you. So send through a message uh, to me, Ian McNally, at the Chosen Brew website, thechosenbrewau.com, or message me through Twitter at thechosenbrew, also on Instagram and Facebook as well. So I would love to make more of these episodes. We'll stick to monthly to begin with, but if we get plenty of five-star ratings on iTunes and uh, we get a bit of momentum, then i'll be releasing it more regularly so if you want some more to hear some people's chosen brews then please get online do your bit take care and i'll see you for the next episode